1: Kind of feel like I don't know. Like it's really interesting being in South Australia, isn't it? Because there's so much stuff going on around the world, and so many different things that are happening. And yet here, um, as Tam was sharing with me, you know, she was there somewhere only yesterday, and it, you couldn't really tell. But at the same time, you not might not visibly be able to see some differences. I mean, yes, Mark Burleman's looking quite attractive with his little COVID Marshall badge on. <laughs> Um, And we're doing kind of the distancing thing well, and the kids are going out, and that's a little bit different, and we're not taking up the offering in the same way. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things, and there's beloved family members who have yet to um, be able to come back because of some decisions they need to make for themselves. But really, visibly, things aren't that different. But I think internally, I don't know about you, like, kind of internally, there is a difference, there is something that has changed, um, something that we're all kind of having to continually contemplate, and that can be really fatiguing. Um, That can also be uh, really really tiring, can be really deflating. And so we are beginning a new series called Stories of Hope. And so for each week, for the next few weeks, we're going to unpack just a sample of the encounters that we read that people had with Jesus. These stories are about real people, real lives, real messy lives, like, like you, like me. Um, in fact, sometimes I read some of these stories and I'm thankful that I don't have to live their life. But I, I am gripped by these stories that we find throughout the Bible, really, in the Old and New Testament, of people who are really, really real. You know, this flawed humanity throughout all of Scripture people I can relate to, people who have doubts and have fears, people who have worries and struggles, people who aren't perfect. And what happens when these people, people like you and I, encounter Jesus? You know, I believe these stories have been included in the gospel, because, in, the, in all the gospels, because they paint a picture for us of the good news that we find, that they found in the person of Jesus we live in a world, I guess like I was sharing just only a moment ago, where hope at times can seem like a faint whisper. The narrative we're fed, especially in the West, is this flawed hope based upon achievement. I don't know if you listened to Trump's quite boring speech the other night. I just flicked it on for just a second, and it was really like, it was like he was falling asleep during his own speech. I don't know. Go back and have a listen. It's, it's really weird. I've never heard a presidential... Speech like it, and you know he's trying to get people to vote for him. And it was late at night in America, and it was really slow and tedious. Maybe like you're hearing right now. No, I'm joking. But um, you know, and you know the 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 message that he was trying to say is, you can make it here. Anyone can make it here if you just work hard enough. It's the message of the West, isn't it? If you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever you want some image that we all kind of want to achieve, some utopian image that always seems just a little bit out of reach. But, you know, if we, have, if we work hard, if we have the right kind of luck, if, if maybe if we achieve for ourselves enough prestige or achieve for ourselves enough power that somehow we can achieve this perfection for ourselves. But, you know, even here in Adelaide, what 2020, I think, has taught us is with bushfires and droughts and COVID-19 and all the other things that have been happening around the world, it shows us here, especially in the West, something that probably the two-thirds world already knew. That hope in self, hope in wealth, hope in the material, in privilege, in government, it's not a real hope at all. Hope has to be found in something else. And so a lot of the people we will meet in the stories that we're about to read together, the hope that we read in the gospel is that the good news that we carry as followers of Jesus, the good news that we herald as his followers, isn't that hope is found in something else, but rather hope is found in someone else, the person of Jesus. That's why we gather here this morning That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. That's why we sing the songs. He is our living hope. It's in Jesus that we find transformation and joy and love and grace in every circumstance, whether, as um, St. Paul said, where we have much or have little. It's in Jesus that we find that contentment. It's in Jesus that we have, above all, hope. So without me continuing to go on about that, let's quickly move on to these stories together. And I've actually asked three people from our community to, to read to us these stories, which are all together in a row um, in Mark and also in Luke, but we'll read the ones from Mark today. I haven't pre-prepared Reuben to put it up, but he's pretty good at kind of chucking in the scripture, so we'll see if it comes up. He's nodding his head at me. Yeah, awesome. Um, from, and we're going to read from Mark's gospel from chapter 1 um, and 2. So, if I, Dave, if I can have the mic, that'd be great. And Kim and Simon and Dean are going to read to us um, from that. So, let's, I've done that so that we can kind of sit in them better, so that we can hear the dynamic of each story in its entirety. So, let's go, Kim. Great. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So, he travelled throughout Galilee, Preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning.
0: people heard that he had he had come home so many gathered that there was no room left not even outside the door and he preached the word to them some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them since they could not get him to jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above jesus and after digging through it lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on when jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son you but you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic i tell you get up take your mat and go home and he got up took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them this amazed everyone and they praised god saying we have never seen anything like this
2: and jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd gathered about him and he taught them and as he passed on he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax office and he said to him follow me and he rose and followed him and as he sat at the table in his house many tax collectors and sinners were sitting with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of, and of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners.
1: Thanks, Kevin, Simon, and Dean. That was really great. It was really good to kind of hear the different stories um, from different voices. You know, in the middle of these three incredible stories, we we hear these three statements by by Jesus. These incredible, amazing statements, which I'll explain a little bit later, and they are: "I am willing," "Be clean." That's in the middle of the first story. Son, your sins are forgiven. That's what he says to this old man. Follow me. That's what he says to Levi. It's these three statements that tie these three stories together and point to the new hope found in Jesus. These stories end with the words of Jesus. You hear as Dean shared them where it says in Mark 2.17, where he says plainly, I have come Not to call the righteous, but sinners. This triplet of stories form part of the beginning of Mark's gospel. His gospel, headlined by the words we read in chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This triplet appears almost word for word as well in Luke where Luke 2 begins to share about the ministry of Jesus that would ultimately lead to the cross. This is clearly an important story. His gospel is headlined by these words, the words spoken by Jesus as he began his ministry. These are found in chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Jesus speaking in the synagogue of his own hometown says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because, because, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So there is something clearly deliberate when we see both Luke. And Mark shared these stories right at the beginning of their Gospels. Events that happened so soon after Jesus' declarations. See, there's something in these stories that speak of the good news of what God's kingdom coming near looks like. What Jesus was truly about. What the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him for. What he was bringing into a dark and broken world. Seen in these three phrases. Be clean. I am willing. Be clean. Your sins are forgiven. And follow me. These speak of the hope that joins these three stories together. I believe that what makes these stories, these statements so important to both of these authors is because right up front, they deal directly with one of the real problems of sin. Why Jesus came. One of the real problems, that being the pervasive nature of shame. Something that affects us all. You see... Right at the beginning of of the Bible, we see in Genesis 3 that when sin entered the world, there was shame. Shame that broke the intimacy that we, the created, had with our creator. Shame that broke the intimacy between Adam and Eve. Suddenly, they wanted to cover themselves. We read in Genesis 3 after taking the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening like he always did and instead of running to embrace him, they hid themselves. They hid because they suddenly realised for the first time that they were naked. They were the, for the first time ever in human history feeling shame. They were ashamed. They felt small and vulnerable and broken. They felt, more importantly, on the wrong side of the relationship that they had with God. This most intimate relationship between creator and created. There's a, a gifted secular um, speaker and professor who has spent decades looking at the psychology of shame. Her name is Brené Brown and she writes this. Shame is the intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love. Have you ever felt that, even for just a moment? And Because th- this is the reality that these three men who encountered Jesus in these stories had. This was their lived life, the intensely painful feeling that they were unworthy of love. And we can all feel this in different ways and in different times. We can all feel the effects of shame in our life. And maybe it's something that you even feel right now. Maybe it's shame because of what we've done, like Adam and Eve. Maybe it's shame from the things about our life that we can't control, things that make us feel lesser than. We see that in these stories. Maybe it's the shame that others, that society places on us. You see, in these stories, for these three, when they encounter Jesus, they find in his presence grace and love. They find in him that the oppression of shame begins to dissolve. That somehow their lives begin to get washed clean, that they have a new start. And what was before is suddenly replaced with forgiveness and inclusion and purpose. And so when Jesus encounters the man with leprosy, because of what his life was all about, because of how separated he was, he has one request. Make me clean. You see, this man, by law, had to live outside of the town. He had to live near graves and in caves, never able to be in community again. It was a kind of living death that he lived every day. And by Old Testament law, he had to live like that. He had to live as though a mourner at a funeral. He had to tear his clothes. He had to let his hair hang loose. He had to cover his upper lip or moustache. He had to be obvious to all, a bit like wearing a COVID badge. He had to be obvious to all from afar that he was unclean, untouchable. Because if anyone went near him, they became ceremonially, spiritually, socially unclean themselves. And so his words, make me clean, were more than just about his healing, they were a social statement. I want community again. And we read in the second story, later we hear that in the the house of where Jesus was living in Capernaum, that it was full of people, it was full of Jewish leaders and teachers, probably influencers and others who had gotten there early to kind of get in there. They had registered early and got into the room. They'd done all the stuff. They were drawn to his teaching. They were hungry to hear what he had to say. They wanted to be with this man who had become so popular. They wanted to know what was happening next. They wanted to be the ones who could tell others on the street what they had seen for themselves. They wanted to hear his teaching, see his miracles. And it's this crowd of people packed into this house that become covered with dirt and dust. As a group of friends, desperate for their friends' healing, Dig through the roof and lower their clearly disabled friend down at the feet of Jesus. You can imagine what they were wondering at the same time. I mean, apart from what the as they looked at Jesus as he's lowered there and they're looking at Jesus' face. Will Jesus be angry at the intrusion? You know, maybe Jesus was on a bit of a roll, you know, preachers get on a bit of a roll. Maybe he was kind of on a bit of a roll and now this thing has kind of happened and no, that happens sometimes when you're preaching or sharing publicly. Will he be annoyed at that intrusion? Will he be annoyed at the, at the, at the, at the property that's now being destroyed? I mean, how do you rebuild a roof that's been dug in? Will he be annoyed at that? Will he heal the man? What will he do? And I don't know about you, but hearing the words, son, your sins are forgiven, seems like a strange response when you read it today. I know when I was a kid and would hear this story in Sunday school, it was a really weird answer that Jesus would give, something that as a young kid I found a bit hard to understand. I understood the next bit, the healing bit, but what was all this about? But to have a disability in ancient culture, to have a disability in Jewish culture, Was believed to be a sign of God's act of humiliation upon those who had gravely sinned. Act upon the family, act upon the individual. We read actually in John 9 where Jesus' disciples questioned Jesus about a blind man that they meet, about whose sin caused him to be blind. Because this was a common belief. To have a disability was shameful in most ancient societies. And it was horrible if you were Roman because it often meant that if you noticed that a baby had a disability, they were just left out in the elements to die, rejected by society. And this is a house that is packed. This is a house full of people engaging with this popular rabbi, feeling honoured that they were in his presence, feeling honoured that they were in this place where things were happening. And this man of shame is lowered right into the centre of it and placed at the feet of Jesus. So what happens next? As we read, it wasn't about the healing. You know, it's so easy to read this story and to think that it was actually about the healing Like I said, that's what I kind of recall from Sunday school. It's easy to read the story before and think that that was about healing too. To read this story about the paralyzed man and think it was about grabbing the mat and walking, but it never was. The centerpiece of hope for all these three stories, the centerpiece of hope for this story with the paralyzed man is found in the words, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's seen in in Jesus reaching out and touching his hand and touching the leprous man saying, I am willing, be clean. You see, in his touch, Jesus defied the law of society, defied religious law, He could have called from afar, from 1.5 meters or the length of a kangaroo. He could have chosen not to touch him, but instead he chose to touch him. His human touch would have been the first touch that this man would have felt in a very long time. It was the first of a new life in community that Jesus was leading him into. And so Jesus says, go to the priest." We welcome back into society, do the cleansing, end this living death. And the power of the story of this paralyzed man is that in his healing, like the leper, there was a much deeper purpose. That the healing itself actually pointed to a greater authority. The authority to give the grace of God. You see, in Jesus, we find too the restoration, the forgiveness of God. He begins in us the renewal of all things. A foretaste, Paul says. This is our hope. In Jesus, our spiritual shame is removed. He ends our living death and replaces it with life and life in abundance. The hope of Jesus is complete restoration. Restoration to community as it was always supposed to be. And it begins with receiving his forgiveness and grace. You know, I've been thinking about the man on the mat. He had lived his, I don't know how much of his life, but he lived a fair portion of his life paralyzed. What's it take for him to Answer the call of Jesus to stand up. You know, I don't know about you, but if, if I had experience upon experience upon experience upon experience and upon experience of not being able to stand, what was it that made him feel like he could? I want to suggest to you today that it was being in the presence of Jesus and knowing his forgiveness. You know, each of us can have experience upon experience upon experiences that tells us that we can't. Experience upon experience upon experience upon experience of feeling unworthy. But when you know the presence of Jesus, you can stand, you can grab your mat, you can walk. Have you truly experienced this grace? Have you truly experienced this grace? Do you know this grace in your life? Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom of grace, a kingdom for the marginalized, for the blind, for the spiritually sick, for the lost. He came to release those oppressed by shame, to set free those captured by shame, to set them free by his spirit, to invite them, to include them into a new community. And so in the third story, we find Jesus on the road where he encounters Levi, otherwise known as Matthew. Being a tax collector, he was there to represent his master and to collect the toll from crossing from one kingdom to the next. He was despised by society because he represented the oppression of Rome that they daily lived with. Rome, who had backed this Herodian family that are now split into three. And now there were additional taxes for crossing from one of these Herodian kingdoms into the next. He was a constant reminder of the oppression they lived under. This is the man that Jesus walks into. Doesn't walk into him, walks past, sorry. And so when he calls out, follow me, Levi grabs up his stuff and follows him. Why? You know, N.T. Wright actually makes a comment on this story. He says, maybe it was for the first time in ages someone had treated him as a human being instead of a piece of dirt. You see, what we find in the presence of Jesus is our humanity. His love, his grace brings us worth and rehumanizes us. In Luke's version of the paralyzed man, um, when he publicly forgives him, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus deliberately touched the leper, he said, I see you, you are here. You are a human being. The presence of Jesus rehumanizes us. But when we live with shame... It eats at that life. It eats at our humanity. It makes us feel lesser, unworthy, unhuman. And yet we find the king of the kingdom of God chooses Levi, the unseen, to follow him. God sees you today. God is calling you. Jesus is calling you today. Will you, like Levi, respond to him? Will you push past the doubt and place faith in his love for you? Will you get up off your mat and follow when he calls? Will you move out of your toll booth and follow him like Levi did? And finally, we read next that these perplexed and probably offended teachers of the law that were, most of them were probably in that house, they find Jesus at a dinner with Levi and his friends. A massive dinner, a party. With Levi and his friends, the disciples, many other tax collectors and those that were called sinners. These were... Men that find Jesus, they were the honoured in society, and they were probably most likely looking for Jesus because they wanted to have dinner with him. They wanted to continue living in their honour and be with this popular, popular man, and instead they find him giving his honour to the dishonourable. As we heard from Ashley sharing with us last week from Luke 14, that the kingdom of God is a great banquet. And this picture that we see with Levi and his friends and the disciples is a beautiful picture of what is to come, the great banquet of the kingdom of God that we read in Luke 14. The banquet that calls those from the highways and the byways, the marginalized, the poor, the blind and the lame, it says. This is where we find Jesus in this moment, dining and parting with, honoring those who were dishonored by society. You see, the hope that we find in Jesus, the good news that we carry about Jesus is that he came for you. He came for me. He came for the person next door. He came for the person down the road. He came for the person in Yatla, wondering what their life has gone to. He came for those at the moment who are struggling, feeling more oppressed because of the different things that COVID has meant economically to the world. He came for the unclean, he came for the notorious, he came for the traitor. He didn't come to call the righteous, but for sinners. And so we find in John 3 verse 16, that famous verse in verse 17 says, that in Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In following Jesus, we too are invited into that great banquet. But more than that, like Levi, one of the first disciples, we need to invite our friends into that space too. We need to be showing to the world that they are included they too can meet this Jesus and he will receive them. This group of people sitting there, this party, honoured. The dishonoured being honoured while the honoured sat outside, not wanting to come in. As the church... As this community here at Pearlview, we are to show the love and the grace and the inclusion of God. We are to actively work against, speak against the pervasive nature of shame. We are to speak against fear. We are to humanize and honor others. We are to point them towards the kingdom by sitting alongside them, maybe in their darkest most messiest moments. See, this is the faith that moved the heart of the Son of God. A group of friends, desperate, digging through a roof to lower their friend at the feet of Jesus. It's their faith, not his faith, to which Jesus responds. And it's in who we decide today, to include, to embrace, to encourage, to sit with. It's in this that we point to the hope that we have in Jesus. It's in this that we speak life to others, that we speak life to a world who is living death through the sin and shame that they feel every day sin that makes them feel that they are unworthy of love. We instead come with a voice and say, you are loved, for God so loved the world. So as I finish, firstly, I just want to ask, do you know this hope? Maybe You need to know this hope again. Maybe the different things that we see around us, the things that have happened maybe in this crazy year, have meant that there have been things in your life that have made you feel lesser than, made you feel unworthy, made you feel unable to approach God. Maybe made you feel unable to be a part of his community. Do you need to know this hope again? And finally, I want us to spend a moment just asking ourselves, asking the spirit of God, how can you, how can I, how can we together be agents of this hope? The hope that we find in Jesus, the hope that dissolves the power of shame, that shame grows strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. I love that song. How is God calling you to follow him in the big things? And as Simon shared about something this week, in the small things as well, that we too can show and point to the hope that we know, that we find in Jesus. Let's pray as the band comes up. Lord, we just thank you that no matter who we are, no matter how broken we feel, no matter how small, no matter how scared, no matter how vulnerable we feel, Lord, that when we encounter your presence, Lord, that we see and know grace. Lord, I thank you that for so many of us here, this is our story. That, Lord, that you have came along and even when our heart in itself was making ourselves opposed to what you were about, that you spoke light into us, that you showed us your love, that you showed us our worth, that you rehumanized us. Lord, I pray for people today here that if at the moment, they're struggling with different things about their life, things that they can't control, maybe things that they've done, maybe things that have been said about them. That, Lord God, that your truth, the truth of your grace would come in and replace that shame with hope. That you'd replace that shame with grace and forgiveness. That you would, Lord God, brush away that living death and replace it with life and life in abundance. I pray for our community here that you continue to help us to dream about how we can be agents of this hope. In our neighbourhood, in our friendship circles, in our local schools, in our local sporting clubs, with our grandkids, with our great-grandkids, with different people that we live with, Lord, that you would help us to be agents of this hope. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to never be allow ourselves to feed into the hope that the world promotes but rather place all of our hope in you, a hope that leads us into intimacy with you and into community with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Thanks for
0: listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at hub.rbc. Or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.